You are now listening to Theology Applied, a podcast of Eternal City Church, where theology walks the pavement. Welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. Today you'll be hearing from Joe Holland, Chief Editor at Grimkey Seminary and founder of Blackhawk Coaching. While this is an interview, Joe will unpack a theology of emotions and explain how we can grow by engaging God through our emotional state by scripture, prayer, emotional awareness, and understanding our unique story. Friends, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm here with my friend and coach, Joe Holland. Joe, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Joe, I met you first at a global gathering with Acts 29 in 2019. Uh, at the time, you were working for Ligonier Ministries, and we'll get into that in a minute. And uh, yeah. I was surprised that Ligonier Ministries liked Acts 29. <laughs> I was just surprised. <laughs> they do. They, they've supported Acts 29 with a lot of materials and, um, yeah, for, for, for a long while. Yeah, and they are generous, man. I, we went they to are. Gulu, Uganda uh, in June, and Crossway and Ligonier had given us 50 Reformation study Bibles to give away to yep. local pastors there in Gulu, Uganda. And uh, Crossway also gave us a ton of other books. So I don't think people realize that how generous these ministries, these publishing ministries are. They really are. They yeah. really are. It was, it was a joy to serve with them for that reason, and that was something that was surprising to me. Um, not only generous in, um, in the English language, but Ligonier especially is doing a lot of um, language development in Spanish, Portuguese, other languages, and then you know, super generous to the mission field um, and folks that are looking to get uh, solid theological work um, in languages other than, than English. Love it. Love it. So, Joe, yeah. if I could just give a quick introduction so that our watchers and listeners know who you are. So you uh, were a church planter with Acts 29. And you left the church to go and work for Ligonier Ministries. And then you left Ligonier Ministries to now work for Grimke Seminary as their editor-in-chief. Is that fair? I did, yep, yep. Editor-in-chief, managing editor. Uh, the stuff that's written at Grimke, I'm kind of you know responsible for review. And then we're doing some development stuff. So current things that we're writing, everything from um, syllabi to to other things and then also looking at maybe doing a theological journal and then whatever other publishing work. So a lot of it's development, um, some of it's current editing, a uh, ton of fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know Tony's looking to make some books happen. So they, they, they <laughs> he's, a writer. he's a writer. <laughs> that dude can crank out books like no one else, man. He could probably do it's a true. book a month if he wanted to. It's true. <laughs> so so true. Joe, I'd love for our listeners and watchers here to hear your story. You have such a unique uh, testimony of coming to Christ and being called into ministry. And I just heard a story this past week of you swimming in the ocean during storms. I'd love to hear that story, man. So go ahead. (laughs) If you want to summarize or you want to do the long version. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, born and raised, uh, beach kid. Uh, a, a key part of my coming to faith was being a competitive swimmer. Um, and if, if anybody knows about year-round um, competitive swimming, it's a, it's a pretty demanding um, sport. Uh, it's one of the, the few sports, I always joke, that you know, every swimmer is thinking you know, when am I going to make it to the Olympics? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and no other sport really, other than probably um, gymnastics or, or even cycling, maybe a little bit, um, has, has that uniform uh, focus on the very pinnacle of the sport. You know, people don't go into 
driveway basketball and right. say, well, everybody's going to be in the NBA. Like it's right. So, so it's, it's, there's a unique pressure put on kids, um, and, and those kinds of focus sports. And so, um, that was me. Um, and, um, I can remember very clearly, uh, early teen years, um, was, uh, competing for the junior nationals. I was trying to make junior national cuts in the, um, the 50 free and, um, missed it by a 10th of a second. And mm. that was, um, that was really um, crushing for me, especially yeah. since it was a, you know, a 10th of a second, if not much. And, um, that, that 10th of a second would have either, uh, really supported, um, my identity as a, a confident swimmer you know, on the way to, to whatever swimming greatness I aspired to as a teenager, um, but, but didn't get it. And so, um, <clears throat> right about that time it had some friends invite me to a young life meeting. And so, um, in, in the Lord's grace, um, swimming was, was falling short of supplying me with the identity I was looking for. Mm. Um, and at the same time, um, was, you know, hearing a young life leader, um, um, tell me that, um, identity is only found in Christ, um, that I was a sinner and I needed to repent and place my faith in Jesus. And so, um, those things came together, um, my high school years when I was 16 and, um, placed my faith in Christ and started walking with him as, um, a high school kid. And I, I think probably you know, part of my story at least was, um, kids who are saved through parachurch ministries, um, often don't necessarily get connected to the church as quickly right. as they should. And so that was my story kind of bounced around, um, throughout high school, uh, attended churches that my friends went to, uh, never quite found, um, church home, um, really through my immaturity and not seeing um, how much the Lord, uh, makes the church the place that, you know, young and old and everything in between Christians are intended to grow. And so, um, really struggled in my face up, faith up through first year of college, um, at university of Virginia. And, um, and I, I remember reconnecting with some of my friends from young life between my first and second year at UVA. Mm -hmm. Um, and just knowing I am, I am far away from the Lord and I, I want to be closer to him and, you know, for, for whoever gave me whatever advice then just said, you need to be a part of a church. And so, yeah. um, went back to Charlottesville my second year, um, and started trend attending Trinity, uh, PCA in Charlottesville Okay, and, um, got involved in fellowship of Christian athletes. So, nice. Yeah. um, so that connection with Trinity would mean I would go on. I was a chemistry undergrad, um, working in a cell biology lab, um, was also leading FCA, leading a, a parachurch ministry and attending nice. um, a PCA church and was really trying to figure out, Lord, what, what do you have for me? Do you want me to be a, you know, godly genetic engineer? Um, was really fascinated with the genome project at that time. Yeah. Um, and it was just thinking, should, do I honor God in the lab under the hood or, um, is this, you know, leadership and exercising and, you know, Christian ministry, something I should follow. So, um, went to a assistant pastor at PCA who was in charge at Trinity PCA, asked him, what should I do? And he discipled me for a year. We worked through Ed Clowney's called in the ministry. And, yeah. um, he said, you know what, you, if you go to seminary for a year and, um, you decide it's not for you, uh, you leave a better equipped layman. Um, if you decided it's for you, you're in the right spot. And so, um, I looked around me. I really, I really was a, a, a theological blank slate, like I said, converted through um, parachurch ministry, um, never really um, discipled, but all the, all the guys I really liked and appreciated and who invested in me in college um, were mainly PCA guys and had gone to RTS. And so okay. 
um, I chose to go to RTS in Charlotte. And um, right there was um, right between um, leaving UVA and um, going to seminary. Um, had um, married my wife uh, nice. now 21 years. Wow, congratulations, um, man. So, What's your wife's name? Hallie. Hallie. Um, so um, married an amazing, godly woman. And uh, by God's grace, we've had you know, four boys, four teenage boys, um, and, and are also having the opportunity to do foster care. So wow. um, you know, love man. our home. Yeah, absolutely. And so did seminary for three years as newly married couple, um, had our first son, um, went to Jackson, Mississippi, right mm-hmm. out of seminary and served there as um, the pastor of youth and families at um, First Pres in Jackson. Um, got to serve under some some great pastors like Lady Duncan. Duncan right? Yep. Yep. There, Derek Thomas was there and yeah, wow. a number of other really, really confident pastors. So that was a great place for me right out of seminary. Um, after three years there, went on to a little itty bitty church um, in a place called Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Okay. Um, it was a great, great little spot in a small town um, as a catch-all assistant to just learn ministry. Um, and then in 2009, um, kind of caught the, the church planting bug, um, mm-hmm. some through PCA, some through exposure to, to Acts 29. Acts 29 was really kind of kicking off right around then. And um, came up to my home state of Virginia in Culpeper, where I am now. And um, there was a fledgling little launch team and kind of joined them to to help start a plant a church in Culpeper. Wow. So that was how I arrived here. <laughs> yeah. What What was the church's name that you planted? Um, Christ Covenant um, okay. in Culpeper. So spent 10 years doing that. Um, my wife and I would say it was the, you know, some of the most um, brutal and rewarding mm-hmm. years of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. So it was, yeah, um, which is, you know, the story. And um, so I, I both had um, some support from the PCA and what they provide um, for church planners. Um, but going into that, also knew that you know I, I wanted to need all the support I could get. So that's where I jumped into Acts 29. Um, was you know 2009 met guys like Brian Lachlan and yeah. Remnant. Um, Doug Logan was planning in Camden about the same time, and so you know all of this kind of kind of started planting about the same time, and our churches paralleled um, growth through through the next 10 years. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I heard someone say that Grim or not Grimkey, Grimkey came out of Acts 29, but Acts 29 is more like a fraternity almost for lead church planters and pastors where they find a brotherhood and a common theological vision and common core commitments and mission, where I've also heard it said that in Acts 29, you may be closer to some of your Acts 29 brothers than some of your denominational affiliates because of your kind of aim at mission and your, you know, reform soteriology and your, you know, complementarian commitments and uh, the cho- the local church as being the central to, you know, ministry and all that God's doing and Christ-centered preaching and, and ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think broadly, of course, we affirm like, you know, Psalm 133, it's, it's, it's great when brothers dwell together in unity and both TCA and, and across um, denominations that share commitment to reform theology, um, as it's understood throughout the confessional history of the church. Um, but there are some, I think, some specific types of ministry where and callings where men really benefit um, rubbing shoulders with guys who are in, in that specific and targeted type of ministry, whether that's um, international ministries or international missions or church planting um, or collegiate ministry. 
mm-hmm. um, where yes, you know, there, there's broader support in a church, but, but doing that, you really benefit from, and even being with guys who are at the same stage of church growth in that. And so, you know, coming, coming to church planting from a great education at RTS, um, having, um, at that point, six years of pastoral experience, um, I was very well educated, um, theologically. And, um, so I, I wasn't coming to Acts 29 really to, at that point, gain, you know, greater theological education. I, I really needed to be alongside guys, um, that were doing the same thing. Um, and honestly, it being, being with, you know, PCA pastors for six years and, and continuing to, you know, within, was in and in the Blue Ridge Presbytery, continue to, yeah. to work alongside those men, um, and really gain from that. But, um, you know, Reformed Baptists, um, guys doing church planting um, within Acts 29 really um, challenged me and were guys with whom um, I could participate in conversations that I wasn't necessarily having um, within my, you know, my, my Presbyterian um, upbringing, you know, yeah. through the, through the years. So I, I really benefited from, you know, learning about the Reformed Baptist tradition um, and then even, you know, when I'm sitting down with my, like you said, my church planter friends, it's, it's not like, oh, you're, you're doing a Baptist church plant and you're doing a Presbyterian, we're, we're doing church planting. Right. Um, and we love Jesus. And like you said, around the core commitments of Reformed Orthodoxy, we're, you know, a hundred percent lockstep. Um, and especially the mission of seeing people meet Christ and, and join Jesus to seek and save the lost in our towns. Um, and so, so those, those priorities um, create a, like you said, a shared fraternity and fellowship that was really valuable um, for me. And so, um, it's also, you realize that was in 2009, you know, over three years ago, two years ago, I mean, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Um, yeah. and, and the landscape's really, there, there are a ton of more support now mm-hmm. supporting organizations than used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least for me, it was a no brainer to be both PCA and Act 29, sure. um, and, and to gain from them, um, everything they had to offer and, and really gained a ton, um, from both. So I'm, I'm really grateful for uh, both my denomination um, and my brothers in X29, who really invested in me and supported me and um, called me when I was down and, you know, got, it, it was just, it was a, you know, being a part of, of both of those organizations um, was, was really crucial and helpful um, for church planning. I don't, I don't think we would have made it um, without, without both. Yeah. 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 I'm not hating on denominations. I'm just, no, no, yeah. that, uh, X29 functions almost like a, like a fraternity of, Mm-hmm. others that you can relate to and that there is a common shared experience like you said i mean you say something in a room of church planners and everyone's like yeah i get that yeah it, it is it is and that's and I, and I really i really benefited from that and really still encourage um guys going into church planning like you need you need to form some solid relationships with guys um, who are in the same thing and you're committed to supporting one another yeah um because it is that that fraternity and fellowship is is really really um, crucial, you know. The, and I know you, I know you and I have talked about the same thing. Just mm-hmm. the the loneliness um, can be crippling in church planning. It's sure. just a, it is a really lonely endeavor um, where you face a lot of really unique um, challenges. I don't I don't want to be the whiny church planner either because I, <laughs> I know I know ministry is difficult wherever you are. Established right. church right. two thousand two hundred twenty wherever it is. Um, it's just been and doing particularly church planting, um, there, there are some unique challenges of loneliness, of needing to develop leaders, of um, just some really practical things of 
um, of how to work alongside a core group to the honor of Christ um, and seeing the lost saved and seeing, you know, Christians who are coming to your church plant um, built up in, um, in the faith. Yeah, good, good. So let let I want to hear the story, man, about your your swimming in the ocean. This is <laughs> <laughs> so you you would wait till the storms rolled in, and then you would go to the ocean and swim. I was. I grew up. Um, I grew up at the beach, and um, right around Fifty Seventh Street, uh, took my right there. Took my first steps as a um, I guess a, a burgeoning toddler. Um, literally took my first steps in the sand there, um, and there's just the spot that my family hung out. And you know, also being a competitive swimmer. And um, a, a dumb teenage boy mm-hmm. um, really um, <laughs> appreciated the challenges that rough seas posed. And so, um, when when there were times that um, that storms would blow through, you know, hurricanes would set off the coast, nor'easters, whatever they were, um, would 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 really enjoy going swimming um, in the ocean. Again, it is it is by God's grace that I've experienced, you know, new life in Christ. And it is by God's grace that my life has been preserved this long for all of the stupid mm-hmm. things that I've done. Right. Um, so, so to all of our listeners, don't do that. Like it's, that is a very dumb thing to do, but, um, you know, rip ties and undertoes and all those things were just, um, uh, challenge I appreciated out in the ocean. So, mm. um, would, would do that. And so I, I think from you heard doing that devotion at, um, at Grimkey this past week, mm-hmm. um, there are plenty of times where you're there in Psalm 29, where um, God's wrath and judgment is pictured as a storm um, forming over the Mediterranean Sea and other places where um, God's wrath is like a storm gave me um, an, an experience that I've carried with me all along of just the um, the terrifying fear, um, and also at least for a teenage boy, um, the exhilaration of being um, in the ocean, um, mm. during, you know, a large and, and dangerous storms. So, um, for a while I tinkered with, should I be a, a coast guard rescue swimmer? Cause I liked it so much, but, um, you know, quickly, quickly decided that probably wasn't a great idea. And I should, I should pursue other pursuits. So. Yeah, man. You, you <laughs> a story about thunder clapping right over your head, or at least it seemed to be when you're in the ocean like that sure. and, yep. thunderstorm. and you said it's like, yeah, it is a unique experience. It is, it is like you are inside of the thunder. If you're in the ocean, you're either swimming or in a boat and then thunder just strikes overhead. So the way it carries over water, it's just a loud, terrifying, mm-hmm. um, experience. So um, when it, when it says in Psalm 29, that the, the voice of the Lord thunders, um, um, the Lord, I think it just flashes like flame over the water. So, um, it is a, if you've ever been on the ocean in a, in a storm, thunder and lightning, um, obviously dangerous and, um, also adds, uh, definitely some, some emphasis to, to what David was saying there in Psalm 29. So, yeah. Yeah, man. yeah. It, it'll put the fear of the Lord in you, right? <laughs> it will, it will, or at least should, at least should. It should, so, right. Yes, unless you're a dumb teenage boy who does dumb things and yeah, goes swimming during storms in the ocean. So. That's funny. <laughs> so tell tell us about uh, working at Ligonier Ministries and then on to Grimkey. Sure, sure. So um, planted the plant went on for ten years. Um, I talked to to other planters. It seems to be in church plants that you have um, of cycles of really difficult leadership challenges, um, whether they're um, you know challenges with leadership. Um, you know, challenges with, you know, difficult or you know, gnarly church discipline situations or whatever those are. Mm-hmm. That was certainly our experience. And so, um, and those were things that really um, taxed me, um, really wore me down. So got to my third of those about a decade in um, and got to the point where I realized I, I need a break and mm-hmm. I, I, I need, I need something longer than a sabbatical. 
um, just to recover. It wasn't in any way a, um, a lack of, of call to the ministry or anything like that. It was, it was more of an exhaustion um, where me and um, another leader were able to lead our church through a really difficult time, get the church to a stable spot. And I just knew I, I need to step aside, let this church find their next pastor, um, and um, I, I need to take a break. And so mm-hmm. I talked to, you know, had several good friends at Ligonier, um, and they said, hey, we, we would love for you to come and take the skills that you have, um, use them here, and you can, you can rest and recover as long as you want. So yeah. I'm still super grateful um, for, my, for my friends there um, who provided me that, that opportunity. Um, what they really, what they really hired, they hired me to do a lot of different things there um, at Ligonier. Um, I was part church partnerships. And okay. so, you know, one of the reasons I know, like we talked about in the beginning, how generous Ligonier is, is because um, I was, I was responsible for um, helping those relationships with churches because Ligonier certainly loves to serve individuals, um, but they also have relationships with churches and really love to bless and support churches. Um, and so I, I've served Ligonier in that capacity since I had done um, pastoral ministry. I had you know, the, the experience, unique experience to be able to do that. And then also um, was an editor for them. And so worked a lot on tabletalkmagazine.com, mm-hmm. um, kind of developing that website and also developing um, the content. And so I, I learned a lot about um, the nuts and bolts of, um, of editing, um, you know, everything from grammar and punctuation and um, Chicago manual of style yeah. and you know, the, the Christian writer's manual and all, all of the stuff that goes into you know, some of the websites that we all know and love and, and we read great theological content online and, and we forget the fact that typically authors are not posting that on their personal blogs. You know, it's, right. uh, authors do great work and write great things um, to the glory of God. And then there's a whole team of editors um, who really help craft and um, get out of this author's writing precision that sort of serves readers um, while still, you know, respecting the authorial intent of um, the original creator. So, um, really enjoyed serving uh, that. And then also um, the unique role of a theological editor of needing pastoral experience um, so that they can read something and understand how it might hit a congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might have somebody who has done really technical theological work, um, has never served necessarily in a congregation, who might write in a certain way coming out of academia. And you know, a, a fellow professor or seminary student might read that and completely understand what they're saying, um, and, and it might be incorporating technical thoughts or technical language. Um, but when you when you translate that to a congregation, um, you, you need to adjust and edit a little Absolutely. bit. And so, so my experience, having just been a pastor, was I could, um, and having been you know educated well theologically, um, I could 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 straddle both sides. Right, I understood yeah. what authors were saying. And could also say, hey, we, we need to edit this a little bit because the person sitting in the pew um, is not necessarily going to understand this concept the way that it's stated or without some extra um, explanation. And so, um, so that, that's really, that's really, I think, where I grew to appreciate the role of a theological editor um, who is, in a lot of ways, pastoring um, mm. the audience mm. um, of of the people to whom you know, whatever, whoever's publishing is writing to, um, there, there's a sense in the same way that, that you and I will be deep into commentaries and studying for our sermon. Um, but we have to make a jump at some point where, Hey, we're in the Greek. That's an aorist past participle. 
um, we're, we're dealing with, you know, lapsarian arguments or you know, w- whatever it might be. Um, that's really important for us to do as we prepare text and understand what the scripture is saying. But then we have to make a jump and say, but I'm, I'm communicating this to John, who's had a really rough week. Um, you know, he's newly married, has, you know, an infant in the home. Now let's, let's figure out not just how he can understand what the scripture says, but what that means for his life where he is. Right. So um, in, in a lot of ways, the way a pastor does that, moving from sermon prep to delivery, um, now an author certainly does that as an author writes, but then the editor adds an extra layer of help to the author um, so that um, the, the audience is served well. So, yeah, that's helpful. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. a really, I learned, really appreciated um, you know, Ligonier's patience with me as I learned to do that um, and learn that skill um, over the two years that I was there. And um, so, yeah, great, great experience with them. Um, learned a ton about um, Ligonier, um, just how, how broad their ministry is and, and what they do. So, yeah, it was great experience writing for them and editing yeah, for them. That's great. So in one sense, you were like a contextualizer for the technical theologians to the broader audience. I was. I was. Um, contextualizer. um and and just and it's it, it even works the other way sometimes too. So it's uh, um, it, it, sometimes you a layperson doesn't know that they're also the words are being edited in such a way to preserve the common lexicon of conventional mm. and creedal orthodoxy. Gotcha. Um, so you know to give you an example from the devotion this last week where I, I talked about to the Grimke students, you know we were talking about how our God is a personal God. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's not a, a vague entity out there. He's not this just big force or power, um, but he's a, he's a personal God, speaks with his voice, um, mm-hmm. speaks into human history. Um, we, would, we would not then move from that to say God is a person. You know, God is, God is three persons and one God. And so those kinds of decisions to say personal God, we won't call him personally, it's three persons within one God, um, is preserving the language of confessional orthodoxy in ways that a reader might not even, not even, you know, realize what you're doing. Um, but you're, you're holding to, um, the faith that's been handed down in the way that we've said things that preserves the structures um, and systems of understanding creedal orthodoxy. So, so yeah, you, you contextualize one way, um, but you also preserve for your audience, um, you know, historical orthodox um, theology, and you you help them grow uh, by you know the the slow drip method. You know, mm. they're they're just reading an article, maybe a, a very what seems to be you know a, a very quick light devotional. But in the midst of that, the w- the ways that you are crafting the language, they're also being exposed to the ways that we talk about the doctrines in scripture that preserves the truths of scripture. Mm. So yeah. that's good. Thanks for that, man. Yeah. That's, that's helpful. Yeah, Most yeah. People do not think about that when they're looking up RC Sproul on, you know, the Trinity. So that's really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell yeah. us how you came from Ligonier then to Grimke. Sure. Um, so got a call um, at the beginning of this year from Brian Laughlin, who's, um, you know, CEO of Grimke. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, I've been tracking Grimke. Uh, Doug Logan and I have been friends for, for a long time. Um, our church supported his church in Camden. Nice. He said we were planting, you know, so very familiar with what they were doing. Um, you know, at some points even, you know, uh, we were able through just, you know, what I was doing with Ligonier also, you know, had a relationship with Grimke and seeing, way, seeing what they were up to. And that's just what my job was. Yeah. Um, and so they said, hey, we, we're finally to the place as a seminary where we're we're looking to to hire an editor 
because we're doing things like writing a writing center where we're teaching our students how to write, not only academically, but at a popular theological level. Um, we want to launch a theological journal um, where we can um, serve our students um, by writing online and where it can be preserved for subsequent students who um, attend our, our seminary. You know, eventually we would love to, to publish books or those kinds of things. And so um, they said, hey, we, we know in Love Ligonier, uh, we know that you're, you're, you know, it's a great experience for you. Um, but because of my pre-existing relationships um, with a lot of folks on board and um, the specific skills that I had, they said, hey, would you be interested? And so, um, you know, thought about it. It was, it was really the, you know, one of the first times, usually when you think about making a, a job transition or even for some pastors when uh, they're looking for, for a new call, um, you're, you're leaving one not so good situation and looking for, you know, <laughs> a, a better situation, you know, yep. and it's, uh, it, it's really the first time I've been in a spot where, you know, was at a great place where I really enjoyed working for Ligonier and also had a great opportunity. Um, so it's really deciding between two really great options. Um, and so, um, I, I really, I, honestly, so two things were kind of the deciding factor for me. Um, one, I had always wanted to work with, um, some of my friends I planted with. And one of the, one of the things that, that we struggle with as senior ministers, lead pastors, whatever we call ourselves is that usually your friends are senior ministers too, mm -hmm. which means that you'll never work with them right. um, because right. you each have your own churches. And so, um, you know, thinking about working with, um, with Doug Logan and Brian Laughlin, um, and then Doug Ponder who's also there at the mm -hmm. seminary guys who had had friendships with for a long time. It's like, that would be a ton of fun. Yeah. And um, it just so happens that at this point, we could all actually work together, um, which wasn't the case, you know, 13 years ago when we were all starting planting. Um, and so so being able to work with some really great friends um, and I was really excited about the work that they were doing. Um, and then the, the second was really convicted that I, I really wanted to serve um, and support the students of Grimke mm -hmm. Seminary. Um, and so. It was, uh, and, and honestly, it's uh, the being a theological editor, um, what I was doing for Ligonier certainly was important, and I had some unique skills. Um, but it, a, a lot of people could have done what I was doing um, for, for Ligonier. Um, the way that, that Grimke staff and faculty have relationships. Um, being able to particularly move from serving um, a broad reformed evangelical audience, which obviously, you know, Ligonier would say they're, you know, they're trying to hit between Sunday school and seminary. They're really, they're not trying to primarily serve um, seminary students. So um, I've always had a heart for men preparing for ministry. And so um, one of the big deciding factors for me, and my wife and I talked and prayed about it, was just I, I have a heart for those men. I, I know how hard it is to do what they're doing, um, a lot of them being church planners. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if in any way I could serve or support them in, in that particular type of ministry, um, I would want to take whatever skills that I have um, and help to that end. So, um, so those, those were kind of the two deciding factors. So um, you know, went on went on staff late February, early March, and um, have had, had a great time since. So yeah. Yeah, that's how I ended up at, ended up at Grimke. Love it. Yeah, I'm repping the repping the grim key right now, man. Just, With the mug. Hey, there you go. I need to get one of them mugs. So mm -hmm. yeah, you and I actually developed a relationship through your coaching ministry or or business practice, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And uh 
Yeah, it was super helpful. We we wrestled with emotions and we wrestled with theology of emotions and mo- uh, what was it? Emotional systems theory, all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. We all were, kinds of things. We were having fun. So what in the midst of this like series of podcasts that I'm doing, uh, we're taking a pause and doing emotions right now, actually. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. In, within the sanctification realm. And yeah. we're doing emotions part one, and this would be actually part two. So, brother, you you nice. seem like one uh, who knows emotions well from a theological perspective. And so here's what I'm hoping to do, maybe for the next half hour here that we have together. If you could maybe unpack a theology of emotions. Sure. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pull up your emotional system triangle and then after you get through, you know, some theology of emotions, I'd love for you to unpack this because this is unique to you. You created it. And uh, <laughs> and I'd love to unpack it if you're cool with that. Sure. No, that, that, that's good. Um, okay, and so I'll, I'll do a little that, story. I'm pull that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit how I ended up doing both that study and coaching. Um, and so, you know, had, had had a, a church planting coach, um, Jason Roberts, a guy who's, you know, a little bit further down the road than I in Acts 29. And, um, we had done some, um, some coaching and, and one of the things that he told me, which, um, I really didn't recognize, he said, you know, Joe, I think that coaching is always going to be a part of whatever you do, kind of whatever your job title is, whether it's pastor, church planner, assistant pastor, managing editor, um, you're going to be coaching. And, um, cause we had gone back just through my story and not only was a competitive swimmer, but, um, coach youth swimming. Um, ended up coaching um, the dads of my swimmers were mm. triathletes and they said, Hey, would you coach us? And, you know, coach them and coaching soccer ended up, you know, coaching ministry staff ended up coaching um, guys, Christian guys that were looking to um, advance in their professions. And so um, he really encouraged me to pursue um, some uh, professional credentialing education and coaching and to yeah. just see what ways, um, I could incorporate that into what I did. So, um, so it, it's, it, it, as a part of that, of course, my own experiences filtered into that. And about 10 years into ministry, I participated in, um, a leadership cohort through the leadership collective, um, run by Elliot Grudem. Um, and it, it, it really, it, it tries to get minister, ministers, pastors, church planners, whoever, who've been in ministry for 10 years, because it's kind of by that point, you know, you've, you, you've had some success, you've seen your weaknesses, you've had some failures, you can kind of do some assessment. Um, and, and one of the things, it, it covered a lot of things, but one of the things that really covered it for me um, was that we tend to think as pastors in um, a thinking and doing um, way um, and n- neglect um, the emotional side of things. Sure. Um, you know, and, and so... Uh, that that was that was definitely me. Um, and so, if you asked me, "Hey, you, how are you feeling?" I would say, "I think I'm doing well." Mm. Um, yeah, I would I would use an intellectual. I think I'm doing well. I, I didn't answer how I'm feeling. I, right. you know, I answered with a I think and do. And, and and a lot of my responses to um, to trials I was going through um, was you know read more books, develop more skills, work harder. Mm. Um, which there's certainly a space for that, and that's you know you know thinking God's thoughts after Him. Um, pursuing life um, and, and acting in a way that, that's ethical and godly, um, developing um, those things. So, um, so I started to think, no, I, I do have um, a, an, an area of need of understanding emotions. Um, and of course, like I said, going through hard things, the times that I was 
you know, angry or sad or hurt. Um, and, and I didn't even have, I didn't even have the words. Like I, I didn't even know, I didn't even know much about like what, what emotions are there. And so in the midst of that started to do, um, a, a deep dive on, um, emotions biblically understood. And, and, and I, I want to keep saying that because, um, a lot of times, you know, some of our listeners or church planners, pastors, ministers, whoever else, um, start to hear, Hey, we're, we're going to look at emotions and emotional life. Um, and it very easily slides into, um, a, a therapeutic way of looking mm-hmm. at emotions that it's may like nod, right? Which which may nod in the direction of the Bible, may throw in some footnotes um, here or there, um, and and that and that's something I I, I early on was like that that is not going to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to understand emotions biblically understood, and really, um, I, I've I've always struggled with what I call um, piety anxiety. Um, it's, it's always, you know, well, should I do Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading program or should I read the Psalms or, you know, should I pray and how much should I pray? And I just, you know, I, it's, uh, uh, reform guys always think God's sovereign over everything except for their devotional life. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, um, and it's, it, so it, it really, what, you know, looking at the scriptures for me was, you know, reading in Romans, I'm, I'm, I'm being transformed into the image of Jesus that, that what is God, what God is up to through the Holy Spirit in people who've been born again to new life is he is transforming them into the image of Christ. Um, and that means, you know, whole people, yeah. um, not just, not just my thoughts, not just my actions, um, but, but also my emotions. And so, um, read B.B. Warfield's, um, the emotional life of our Lord, which mm-hmm. was really helpful. Um, Warfield has done some really good work on the emotional life of Jesus. Um, but, but that became, you know, Christ became the anchor for my study um, that, that I want to know um, emotions biblically understood in all of Scripture, especially as they are fulfilled and um, culminate in um, the person of Jesus, who was um, fully man and, you know, as recorded in the Gospels, um, experienced um, very deep and broad ranging um, emotions. Sure. Um, and not only did he experience um, broad ranging, deep emotions. Um, he also, you know, readily drew upon the Psalms, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously the, the place we would probably say in the Old Testament where, where emotions are most clearly expressed. And so um, he not only experienced them, but also showed how the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, um, give words to the emotional life um, of, of the growing Christian. So, um, you know, but, but I can only approach it from the intellect side, just because I tend to be, you know, a heavy study guy. And so studied, studied, studied about, um, about emotions and, um, the, just reading through the Psalms, the importance of expressing emotions to God in prayer and that, um, emotions are as true or false, um, as what we would say are truth statements. Mm. And so, um, we would, you know, if we would say, Hey, you know, God created the world out of nothing that that's true as a true statement. Um, if we would say, you know, sin is not a big deal, that would be a false statement. Right. Um, you know, there, there may be times that people actually and sincerely think that sin is not a big deal. And in those moments, they are wrong. Right. Um, and the Bible confronts that and, and corrects that in the same way God has designed us as people to respond emotionally to our, our environment. And so, you know, when, when we are under the conviction of sin, um, happiness is not an appropriate emotion, you know, grief, you know, right. grieving Absolutely. for our sin. 
um, when we're grieving for our sin and we, we glimpse the cross of Christ and, and as the shorter catechism says, we're able to receive and rest in him, mm. um, you know, joy, peace are appropriate emotions. Um, and, and so for me, uh, studying scripture, it was helpful to start think about not just what should I think is true right now? What is the right action that we should do in the moment? But also, what is the appropriate emotion um, that that it should be feeling? So, um, even to give you an example, there's a if you if you look online, there's a ton of different lists of different emotions that people could feel. There's like wheels inside wheels and Venn diagrams, and I just you can do really deep. So, um, my working definition um, is always um, you know, uh, nine of them, and so um, fear, loneliness, um, anger, sadness, hurt. Um, joy, disdain, guilt, and shame. Um, and, and out of those, we would typically say, I really only want to feel, feel joy. Okay. <laughs> but the, and, and that's true. We, we, we enjoy feeling joy. Um, and joy is certainly a powerful emotion, but um, there are times where we would say negative emotions are very important and true. So if, if you have a really good friendship and that friend moves away, mm. um, the appropriate and good emotion to a feel might be loneliness mm. um, because it, it loneliness is the right value and register that that friendship you had was really important and significant. And now that person's moved away. So, um, you know, where, you know, if, if you're hurt, you should feel hurt. If you're angry, you should feel angry. No moments feeling fear, saying fear. And so um, for me, I would, I would write out, you know, the act, all, all of those nine, just, I write F L A S H, um, J D G, um, S and, um, would just circle the ones I was feeling in my journal. Sometimes mm-hmm. just practicing, I would sit and pray with the Lord and think, okay, right now I'm, I'm feeling angry. Okay. Now what I'm feeling angry about, okay. I'm, you know, I'm upset that this leader on my team acted that way. And then I would start to, to talk to the Lord about it in prayer. Um, and so it, it brought, and that was something I'd never really done. Um, I was really kind of a, afraid of emotions or pretend they didn't, um, exist or, um, think that leadership was just thinking hard and, and working hard. Um, so that, that led me just to consider emotions from a biblical Christ-centered, uh, point of view and still, um, am, am studying about, um, emotions and, in my own reading of scripture, try to pay attention to, um, what emotions are in the text, um, in the Psalms a lot more, um, than, than I used to be. Um, so, so that's still, I always call it a working definition, you know, gotcha. all, all of my stuff is because it's, uh, it, it's still working and tinkering and coaching guys. A lot of the guys that I coach, um, also are coming from a place where one, um, they may be emotionally immature. Um, but they're also, especially for guys that are in ministry or church planning, um, they're also in some really difficult times mm-hmm. um, that are, are probably creating environments where they are feeling emotions that may be new or maybe new and how powerful um, they're feeling them. And they just don't know what to do with them. Sure. Um, so, so being able to point them to Christ, point them to the scriptures, walk with them through that, give them some, some categories, terminology, a lexicon to understand what they're feeling um, in a way that guards against some of the goofiness in the therapeutic realm, um, yeah. keeps it very biblical and Christ focused. And so, um, that, so bringing together both coaching, me being coached, me being able to coach other guys going through difficult stuff and, 
and helping them see that important part of just being a person, much less a man, much less a man in ministry, much less a man in a, a particularly difficult type of ministry, um, is being able to say, yes, I'm angry right now, or yes, I'm lonely right now, or I'm afraid. That is that is a true emotion that fits and should be a part of what I'm feeling. Now, what do I do that? I can go to a psalm that helps me you know, pray or sing to God about that, and I can encourage myself with, with biblical truth, uh, but I can admit that that is really what I'm feeling, um, and, and you know, start to process that. So, um, so I did that, um, and, it's, and I always say it's not, it's not unique to me, and so I was uh, this whole like uh, pulling together what you said, the triangle. So you know, head, heart, hands, um, the, the intellectual, um, the emotional, um, let me the, pull that up. Acting. Let me pull yeah, that up. I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen so people can see exactly what you're you talking about. You pull it up and I'll, I'll quote. I, I always bring this quote out just to show that this isn't something that, that I made up. Um, is is very much um, a part of, um, uh, of our systematic theology from, um, a, from a reformed tradition. So um, Herman Babbink says in his volume one of the systematics, but that knowledge of God penetrates the heart and arouses there an assortment of affections of fear and hope, sadness and joy, guilty feelings and forgiveness, misery and redemption, as these are pictured to us throughout scripture, but especially in the Psalms and through the heart, it in turn affects the will. Faith is manifest in works in love. And then he goes on to say head, heart and hand are all equally, though each in its own way, claimed by religion. It takes the whole person, soul and body, into its service. And so um, I just, I, I wandered across that in Babink and just was, was grateful for that. And so, you know, does, does the Bible say, hey, you should understand a biblical anthropology by understanding head, heart, and hands? It doesn't, but we kind of recognize these are general categories that we can use to understand the life of Jesus, to understand how God created us, and also to understand how we're being renewed and transformed into his image. So, so yeah, so this is, this is my, you know, anecdotal evidence is that, um, between the head and the hands, um, what links those things are typically skills and habits. And the reason I have that kind of little, um, little cloud at the top is, um, throughout my experience in, you know, Presbyterian reformed evangelicalism, um, we tend to approach problems from very heady acting, Mm. um, standpoint by developing skills and habits. And so, um, if, if a guy's struggling in his marriage, um, you know, he, he wants to be a better husband. We'd say, all right, here's a book that you should read on marriage, yep. the kinds of skills and habits that you should learn so that you can do better. And, you know, I should start by saying that that's, that's a big deal. Like yep. understand God's truth, right? Develop skills and habits and put them into practice. Um, and you know, it's that bottom line, even though it's the, it's the, it's the note we hit the most. Um, is, is very appropriate to hit. So if I'm dealing with a young guy just out of college, um, he's having trouble showing up to work on time. Like, hey, man, you know, God, God's given your, your vocation, your calling. Um, he's also given you an alarm clock. You need to learn to use it and just show up on time. Like, these are skills and habits that are very godly that you need to do. You know, understand its importance, learn the skills and habits, and then go and do it. Um, so that's important. But one of the things that I noticed when we disregard um, our heart is that we tend to think the solution to all of our problems is to think the right thoughts and do the right things. And that makes a whole person, um, which again, biblically speaking, there is this other category that we can label the emotions or the affective realm. Um, that there's also all this stuff and our responses of going on, you know, in, inside of us. 
Um, and so, um, you know, our, our heart in bringing a biblical emotions to bear brings those other two lines on board. So I typically say the point between your head and heart um, is your experience or, um, or your story. Um, and so, uh, you know, t- to give you an example, um, I was at a broader family gathering and um, they, were, they were showing a, a Disney movie uh, that was hitting on some family themes. Um, and we were just, we were all off hanging out watching. Um, and I actually started crying and I am not a cry at all. Like I, that is just, that's not me. Um, and my ears, my, my ears, my eyes started tearing up and I started thinking like, I didn't even know why I was, you know, tearing up. Yeah. Um, and so something was going on inside of me emotionally based on the story that the experience that I was watching that was resonating with some of my own story um, and some tensions that I had in, in my, lo- my, my, my larger extended family. Um, and I had to use my brain to say, why is this happening? Mm. Um, what about my story, my experience is creating these, these emotions? And so, um, so talking to guys, um, especially leaders, pastors, church planners, just about the story that brought them to, to wherever they are now um, is an important part of them growing as leaders. So, um, you know, if, if, they've been, if they've been betrayed by leaders in the past, um, that is a part of their story that they have to understand um, may create emotions around leaders who they may perceive are out the door because mm. they've been hurt in the past and, you know, leaders have left. Um, there might be tension within a leader meeting that causes them to act in ways um, that they would rather not act in a meeting. Maybe they're defensive. Maybe they're antagonistic. Um, the other guys on their team don't know why they're acting that way. And if that leader is able to say, wait a second, um, I've been hurt in the past by leaders leaving poorly. Um, I'm, 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 I'm taking that experience, and I think that might be happening now. And so I'm acting towards these guys um, in these emotional ways that are very unproductive. So that might be a place where that leader, you know, does a timeout in the meeting and says, Hey guys, I'm, I am feeling defensive antagonistic. The reason that I'm acting that way is because of how um, I've been hurt in the past. Um, I, I want to tell you that's it. So we can talk about it openly. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of times the other leaders just, they had no idea that that was going on um, and, and their lead pastor but as soon as you're able to say, I'm feeling this emotion, this is why, based on my experience, I'm going to talk about it with my, my friends that I'm serving along with. Um, and then it gets out in the open rather than it staying underneath. And then he's defensive and the guys that he's with think he's backing away. And you know how those things spiral in relationships, you know, the tensions blow up. And so um, simply knowing this is my story. Um, this is why I tend to act in certain ways. Uh, because of really great experiences or really bad experiences in my past. Um, and so I have a better understanding of how I might act in the future. And I can talk to my friends, um, you know, uh, about that. Um, so how does that, that play that, out in a, in, in like a family dynamic, say husband, wife, kids, you know, past experiences. Can you give us an illustration in that realm of life? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, if, if, if let's say a, a child Say there's an instance where, you know, a, a dad um, talks to his son and maybe completely botches it and really um, affirms his son based on, you know, how he's performing. Okay. 
Um, you know, he, he, he got good grades. He did well at sports or something. Um, and, and even maybe that becomes a pattern of, of not affirming and loving your son because he's your son. Um, but based on his performance, um, that son grows up to think that somehow the way to operate with people or even people who love him, that the reason they love him is because he's doing the right things rather than they've just, they've simply committed to love him um, in a, in an unconditional way because of the relationship, whether it's a marriage or you know, within a family or, or whatever else. So, you know, if you have a story of only being affirmed based on your performance, then you might be in a marriage or you know, a friendship where that totally is not the case, mm. but you read it into it and think I am only as good or my friendships are as tenuous as my performance um, how well I'm doing at these things. When your friends might say, what are you talking about? Like, we don't care. Like right. you're, you're my friend because you're my friend or you're my spouse because you're my spouse. Like I, I, I love you, not based on any of that, but you can still read that in. So, yeah. so within the family domain, say it again. Subconscious. You think it's subconscious? I, I think we pick it up emotionally. I, don't, I mean, subconscious. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think we think, I think we act out of it. So in subconscious in that, we don't we we often will act based on our story and what we feel without thinking about it gotcha. um and and that's some of the benefit of this is just saying hey you know tell if somebody's like i just you know i i end sunday and i'm i'm either on cloud 9 or in the dumps based on how well that i think my sermon went saying huh i mean tell me your story what are some other times that you've had feelings of elation or deep depression based on, you know, your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be like me, like I grew up, you know, part of swimming was, that was how it was. I was, I was as good as the time at last, last meet. So that it, it is, it's that that affects people. So you say, you know, you're, you're coaching, you say, Hey, so tell me about other times. Somebody's like, Oh, I, I'm really operating. I, I'm not stepping into the pulpit free to preach the gospel. Um, if, if I make a mistake or preach a poor sermon, um, I can, you know, be sorry for that and, you know, repent for God, repent to God and do better. But who I am is not defined by how good my sermon was last week. Um, you can start to speak, you, you can use your brain to speak the true story, which you're loved by God and you're called into this. And certainly you have skills and competency and calling to be a pastor. Um, but that doesn't define who you are. You're defined by your union to Christ. Um, and who he is and what he's accomplished. So um, your your story starts to, if you're feeling one way on a Sunday afternoon because of how well you did in your sermon, you start to, you're, with your brain, you start to speak, no, that's that's not the story I'm I'm living in. Hmm. Like God isn't, God isn't like waiting each Sunday to figure out like, you know, I love you 80% because that was 80% a good sermon or you really botched that one. So I don't like, no, my love is secured for you and the finished work of Christ. Hmm. Um, and so you are free and called to go preach the best you can, yeah. um, but it doesn't define who you are. So, so that's kind of how on that line it goes, it goes in between like, this is what I'm feeling. Why am I feeling it? Is that true? Is that really, you know, if you're, if you're in that marriage or friendship, you know, I, I feel like these relationships are completely contingent on my performance. And then your brain can come online and say, is that true? Mm. No. I mean, maybe with your employer, it is like if if, yeah, right. if if you're consistently late and you're not doing your job, like 
you know, is, and you feel like your job may be in stake, like it is like, that's a true story. But if it's, you know, if it's a, if it's a relationship, friendship or, you know, marriage with your wife and, um, you're, you're, you're not resting in the, um, the solid friendship that you have, I mean, the friendship you have or relationship, the married relationship, um, then, then that can, that can be something you can speak God's truth into that. Um, so yeah. Good. That's helpful. Yeah. And I, and I could see counseling being very helpful for some people who they have all these feelings and they don't even know how to identify them and where they've come from and why they're experiencing yeah. what they're experiencing. So that's helpful. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's part of pastoral work. It's, it's helping people understand the disconnect there between the head and the heart in the experience. That's really helpful. Yeah. Let's do heart and hands. I think this is sure. a very important, what do you call it? A, a tension point, I guess. Sure. Um, and, and that's, you typically will have, and I call tension points somewhere on one of those lines. So you either have disconnect from your story, you don't understand, um, you know, your experiences and how they affect you. You know, we, we tend to think, you know, I'm, I'm not with some of my experiences in the story that they really don't affect me that much. And that's just not true. Or, um, you know, guys may lack a specific skill or habit that they need to develop. Um, and that would be a tension point on that bottom line. Um, a, a, a lot of guys also just, they feel, um, empty, just they don't have a lot of passion about what they do, about their actions. And um, it's because they've never learned to engage um, uh, emotions with their work or that that might be um, appropriate. So, you know, I, I might say, you know, if, if we're on the hand side, um, if we were to look at, say, a skilled concert pianist, um, just, you know, great concertos, whatever, um, you know, you can arrive at that from either line, you know, there, there, there might be someone who from an early age was just drilled by their parents on the piano. Um, and they develop those skills and they are able to execute at a very high level. Uh, both say they hate it. Like mm-hmm. they never liked it. They, you know, you know, always wanted to play guitar. They wanted to be out shooting basketball. And so, you know, they, they've arrived on that bottom line to, um, to a, to a skill, uh, a professional ability to do something well. Uh, but they're not, not only are they are passionate about it, they are impassionate about it. They, they don't like it. Um, or let's say, you know, somebody's a tinkerer on the piano, yeah. uh, but they really enjoy it. Um, and so they, they have a, they, they, they have a lot of joy, um, and happiness in learning and playing the piano. Well, they're going to arrive at some measure of skill, um, doing that, but they've done that because they really enjoy doing it. Um, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the greatest people probably in professions are ones that have both. And so right. you have the person highly skilled and highly passionate. And I think in, in every area um, of life, we, we have people um, who do that. Um, I think it's difficult if there's something that you're trying to execute at a very high level and you dislike it um, to, to work those emotions out. Um, and not at all. I'm not the like, it isn't always that, you know, only do what you're passionate about right. and, and go what makes you happy. Cause we you know a lot of times works really hard. Right. Um, but if you're doing really hard work um, and you want to bring your emotions online for really hard work, you'd say, Hey, I'm doing really hard work um, in a profession where maybe I, w- I wish I was in a different profession, but you know, right now I'm you know 50 and I'm not going to change professions, but what I love is I love my family. Um, and I love my church and I want to be able to support both of those. And I know that my God is sovereign and is using my work to make the world a better place. Um, and so even though you might not like the, you know, the daily tasks that you're called to do, you might have a dislike of those. Your emotions would be negative. 
you can you can speak God's truth into that and say, but there is joy in this because I'm I'm you know making a living, supporting my family, supporting my church through giving, mm-hmm. um, and also making an impact on the world. So um, so a lot of guys just they they've never thought about how should I feel about my work. Um, you know, what am I passionate about? And, you know, even if I'm doing something hard, you know, what is God's true emotions, um, about that, that work or, or that action. So that's, that's how the passion line comes online. Yeah. Tell, tell us about the skills and habits. What's the, you have here under tension, a lack of knowledge on how to do something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is, a lot. I mean, so for example, I had to, I'm still bad at it, you know, do, fixing stuff around my house. Um, you know, it's, it's a joke in my family. Like there, there are people who put their hands on things and they get fixed. I put my hands on things and they break. Um, so you got to call somebody to help. Right. Like I, I judge home improvement projects by the number of visits I have to go to Lowe's. So I get um, it, yep, yep. you're like, dang, you know, a, a one Lowe's visit is a good, a good job. If it's three, it means I've made several mistakes that, um, that need to be, um, uh, but that's on the realm of, of skills and habit acquisition. Um, it's, uh, Hey, you, you need to learn how to do this better. And there's some very specific skills and habits, you know, whether it's, you know, as an editor, learning ba- basic punctuation or how to craft an essay um, by, by having a thesis statement and then supporting topic sentences in each paragraph um, or even a theological education um, to a large degree that skills and habits is just acquiring the knowledge you need to do what you do, um, having pastoral wisdom to know how to face different pastoral experiences, um, what to do, what not to do. Um, so, you know, skills and habits are, are very important. You know, they, they are the thing we typically talk about. They're not the only thing, but they are um, super important um, in, in, in what we do in any area of life, whether, you know, a, a mom's a homemaker or a guy's a particle physicist, like it's, there are skills and habits um, that are learned over a lifetime um, that, that are really important for those callings. That's good. And explain to us one more time, what is the cloud there, the light gray jagged cloud and why is it in my experience yeah experience heart and passion my my experience in and i i only coach guys i deal with men i deal with mainly um christian leaders um who may be in secular industry um maybe pastors planners Mm -hmm. um my experience with christian leaders in especially reformed evangelicalism is they they don't have a a biblical lexicon or understanding of emotions in general or what to do with their own. Mm. Um, and so, um, and, and working with them, some of that is a, an intellectual, this is just what they are, just some teaching on, these are biblical emotions, here are emotions that Jesus experienced um, as the perfect man. Um, here's how they're reflected in the Psalms, you know, written by imperfect man in inerrant scripture. Um, and then starting to say, and the guy's like, okay, well, I've got the categories. What do I do? We start talking about your story, you know, major notes and themes in your story, just understand where you've been. Um, and that could be, you know, from birth to now. It may be a guy talking about church planning experience. It may be the most recent trial or um, huge success. Like, what are your experiences and the stories that brought you to now? How does that shape who you are and how you feel what you feel in different environments? Um, and then starting to ask guys like, you know, what are you passionate about? How? How can you have joy um, in in your work? 
Um, what, what did God say? What are true emotions about the stuff that you do from day to day? Cause that guys are, are fearful about emotions or they tuck them all in and they only come out as anger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of times anger is an umbrella emotion. Um, mm-hmm. so working with guys, you know, some of the, the, the first would sometimes the first emotion it feels is they're angry. Everything's great, fine, wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm doing everything wonderful. And all of a sudden they just, you know, something really sets them off. Yep. And that usually means they just, you know, it's probably something else. They're probably hurt or they feel guilty for sin that's unconfessed or, you know, whatever that might be. But it first expresses an anger and like, okay, well, um, let's, let's start getting into that. Um, you know, what else might be under that? Why are you feeling that? What does God say about based on your, what you're in right now? What are the true emotions you should be feeling about this? How does that relate to your work and what you think and those kinds of things? So the cloud is typically, um, I've found um, that a lot of pastors um, just function that bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I know? What can I do? How can I put into practice in the world? Rather than also, hey, what's what's my story? What what has God done in my life? So I, one of the things I love reading is Acts and the life of Paul and how God used his his pre conversion and post conversion experiences. Um, throughout his ministry, and there were points at which um, Paul understood his story and who he was um, in, in order to serve God in his kingdom. So he, you know, at times he would say, "Hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen," um, was really helpful. Other yep. times he didn't he didn't mention it. That's right. Um, you know, he, he's on trial with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and all of a sudden he realizes, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the camp of the Pharisees. That's that's going to help me in this moment." If I so he understood his story, what God had done in his life. Um, that enabled him to minister and pastor in a unique way um, where, where he was. So, you know, just helping guys understand, you know, it isn't just the, the now, it's God giving you your story for a reason. It, it wasn't an accident. Right. Um, so understand, like, what's God been up to? Why did he let you experience the things you experienced? Um, and, and how does that prepare you to face what you face moving forward as a leader? Mm. Uh, and also working with people in teams, realizing that the people on your teams all have stories um, of, of trial and failure, of success and celebration. Um, and as a leader, understanding someone's story and not just, this is what they know, this is how they can do. And so, if, and this is where I think biblically, um, it's important for us to um, highlight what the scriptures have always said, because of course, emotional intelligence and EQ and the stuff that Lencioni's written, and um, there's a lot within the secular industry um, looking at emotions and the importance of emotions, um, and it may be it may be new for business leaders. Certainly not new for the Bible. Like right. we've known, you know, emotions for leaders for um, for a really long time. Um, and so there's also a moment in um, in just leadership and general development where we as Christians know more than mm-hmm. um, you know the, the secular guys who are doing research on teams and how does emotional and story and all this stuff factor in. So um, I think it was T.S. Eliot who said. Um, Scientists, after climbing the hill of knowledge, will reach the top and find that Christians have been there all the time. You know, we 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 have God's word, who's not been quiet about this for a very long time. So, and we have the perfect Christ, the model of um, of, of leadership and manhood and um, and ministry and pastoring and emotions and all these things. Amen. Yeah, it seems like Joe, you walk a fine line between coaching and counseling. It seems to me like sometimes you're you're over in one side and in the other. Uh, even though you're, you know, you're 
your coaching is your main thing. Would you agree with that? It is. It is. In, in the way we describe it, um, and I'm always happy to refer guys because sometimes we I start coaching and it's like, you need a counselor. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm not a trained counselor. I'm a trained counselor in that I've done pastoral ministry for two, um, two decades. Um, but coaching typically looks forward. Um, counseling looks backward. Um, and so for, for me, the looking forward is how has God shaped your story? Um, how are you growing in emotional maturity um, that equips and prepares you for the leadership ministry pastoring challenges that you are and will face? Um, if in the course of that, you know, somebody's like, hey, I, you know, there was this huge event, you know, if it was, you know, some kind of, a, you know, let's say, you know, childhood abuse or something like that in their past or something really significant that they just can't get past, that would be a counselor would would look back and say, Let's look at this. Let's, let's talk about what happened and provide biblical counsel um, for for processing um, and and moving beyond something that they may have been stuck in the past. So, um, so yeah, there there is some some overlap, but but uh, in my coaching, tend to tend to look forward. And also, I mean, I should say, um, you know, my my main job in editing, um, I'm I'm really uh, passionate about um, good writing. Um, that reflects all of these areas. So, you know, our, our, our reform tradition, you know, biblical orthodoxy has always been very emotional and passionate and the Bible is. Um, So it it should, even though there, there should be precision in what we say and emotion should never be a veil or smoke screen, smoke screen for, you know, wrong or imprecise theology. You know, our, our precise orthodox theology, well-written, um, and reasoned um, should also bring with it, you know, deep emotion um, and right action. Um, you know, ethics is a big deal. Yep. It's not just we think great thoughts and then we don't act on it. It's not just we think great thoughts and they don't move our heart. It's it's all of these things together. It's an integrated person who is operating continuously out of the head, heart, and hands here. Um, right. All right, last thing, Joe. Uh, yep. So if somebody is looking at this triangle and they're like, man, um, I now have some categories. I think there's a disconnect in one of these tension points. What would you coach them to do? Sure. I mean, it's, uh, unfortunately it's one of the things, and you talking about this before, like it's, there's not a lot written, um, right now on, on a lot of these things. Um, and so, um, I'm trying to write a little bit, um, on it. I've always said, if I was going to write something, I'd have to answer two questions. One, um, does it, does it need to be written on? And am I the person to do it? Sure. So um, I'm still still um, getting around that in terms of, of being able to potentially write some resources um, or some, um, you know, just some simple exercises that folks could do, leaders could do, um, like being able to write out, you know, these nine emotions, which one am I feeling? That's yeah. something somebody could do on their own. Um, I, I would say um, with a good friend, start to process some of these things. Um, and that's, that's all you really need. Maybe that's, maybe that's your wife. Um, but you can say, hey, I'm, I'm starting to realize that there's a level of emotional immaturity and I'm trying to figure out the ways um, that that's affecting you know, my relationships and would really want you to speak into that, um, to study scripture on it, the life of our Lord. Maybe you read B.B. Uh, Warfield's book. Um, you know, I've always had a regular Bible reading. And for me, I, in just daily Bible reading, tried to notice emotions more. I typically would um, a lot of times, um, you know, wrongly kind of data mine the text, kind of, mm. you know, I, I'd read through it and say, you know, what biblical truths are here, which isn't wrong. I and mean, there are biblical truths all throughout 
that's, you know, the, the Bible is, is not just a collection of biblical truth. It is that. It's more than that. Um, and so being able to say, you know, what what emotions are present um, in, in this text or in even, you know, what, what actions result from that truth and, and those emotions. So, um, you know, praying it out, working with, you know, a trusted friend, um, you know, reading, you know, Warfield, um, reading, reading course of the Bible um, from these perspectives. Um, you know, if you, if you, if you want to get with a coach, most coaches and counselors can help you um, process this. I'd, I'd really say get with a Christian um, right, coach absolutely. and counselor um, because a, a lot of this stuff gets, gets really wonky um, when it's not rooted in Christ and in the scriptures. So, um, so those would be some things that, um, that guys could do. There's even things, you know, like I said, you know, I was participating in a, in a cohort of guys, I know, uh, with leadership collective, um, th- there are a lot of ministry cohorts right now, um, whether through denominations or, um, networks, um, that, that get pastors together to start to talk through some of these things. So, um, the cohort model would be a great way where, guys could get together and start to talk about um, these things and the ways that it affects ministry um, and what God's up to in our lives. So, so those would be a, a smattering of suggestions. Yeah, that's helpful. So Joe, if someone yeah. wants to get a hold of you for coaching, uh, yeah, yeah. how can they do that? Um, I'm on Twitter, Joe Holland, Twitter, Joe Holland, um, Instagram, even though I'm not on Instagram very much. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my, my company website's blackhawkcoaching.com. And so um, go, go there um, and hit me up. Um, I'm Joe Holland at grimkeithseminary.org too. So, um, shouldn't have a trouble, um, getting in, getting in touch with me. If you're looking for coaching or I could even refer you um, to somebody or even just answer a question by email, happy to, happy to talk to folks. So, yeah. yeah. Joe, really appreciate your spending time with us today, man. You did a great job explaining the Thanks. emotions and the confusing world that that is for most people. <laughs> I would say most people, man, uh, <laughs> they, they got the head, they got the hands, they're developing skills and habits and they're like heart, you know, emotions. What is that? So I, yeah. I, I think this is an area brother where you would really bless a lot of people if you were to write on it and teach on it and create some systems to, for people to work through. I think that'd be a huge blessing to the church at large and, right. you know, guys like me who you have coached. So I appreciate well, it. And I should say like, I am very much a work in progress. So I, there's still time that I'm like, wow, that was a really emotionally immature response to you mm-hmm. know what I was experiencing. So I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, teaching, coaching um, out of somebody who this was a, a major big weakness and I'm trying to, you know, before the Lord compensate for that. So, um, right. and, and bring that weakness up to, to being more biblical and a strength. So I'm ha- happy to help as a, a fellow traveler along the way. Yeah, that's helpful. One of our elders, Eddie, when he often says this, he says, pastors are sometimes teachers, but always students, you know, and I think we can all kind of adopt that where we're, man, we're always learning, we're always growing, but we sometimes get to instruct. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And I think kind of Corinthians, Paul saying, you know, the Lord provides the comfort so that we can comfort mm-hmm. others. There's this, we, we don't receive anything from the Lord um, that isn't also intended to be used for the benefit of others. So, yeah. Right. Joe, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, man. Really appreciate you, man. Maybe we could do this yeah. again. Uh, love to. Yeah. Thanks for doing this, brother. Yeah, yeah. Take care. Cool. You too.